0: Well, how many people are in search of happiness? Woo-hoo. What are you searching for then? Everybody's in search of happiness. Everybody wants a good life. It doesn't mean you don't have problems. Well, listen, we're, we're wanting life to be better than it is. Well, we've been talking about in a series called In Search of Happiness. We're looking at biblical principles for a happy life. And one thing I can absolutely assure you of, relationships with people are a big part of being happy. And we've talked about that. We've talked about relationships in church. Remember Barney last week? We need you. You need us. We're a happy family. Yeah, a great big hug. Kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? Come on, Barney fans. <laughs> We talked about happy in our, in our family, our biological family. But today I want to talk about what is clearly in Scripture the number one principle for happy relationships. How we treat people, whether there's someone very in our inner circle or whether there's someone kind of arm's length or someone in between. There's a key the Bible gives us that's key to forming relationships that last, to helping relationships that are stretched and strained. And it's called the golden rule. As we talk about what the golden rule, we're gonna talk primarily about two things today. I'm gonna to talk to you about conflict. Because every relationship, if it's, if it's a stranger and you pull out in front of them and they shake their fist at you, I mean, that's a conflict. And if your spouse said, I'm leaving you, I can't stand you, I mean, no, that's a conflict. So across the ways, we're going to talk about conflict this morning, how the golden rule can help you in relationships. But I'm also going to talk about something uh, that's vital about with the golden rule, about what we do with people that are in trouble. When we see someone that's in trouble, whether they're near or far, how does the golden rule apply? So I think it's going to help you today all around. Uh, let's begin. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, as I've entitled the message, The Golden Rule. Which, by the way, it's not he who has the gold rules, but it's different. Matthew seven twelve. Jesus said this, Do to others what you want them to do to you. Do to others what you want them to do to you. This is the meaning of the law of Moses and the teaching of the prophets. In other words, summarize the whole Bible. And Jesus said, this is what it is. Treat people the way you want to be treated. The Message Bible says, here's a simple rule of thumb or a guide for your behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Well, we're going to be very practical with this today because I want you to first see how real this is because we all know what's the right sort of behavior, what we want people to do to us, and we know what's wrong. So I want you to, we're going to use our thumbs now. Come on, I want you to pretend you're in the Roman Colosseum, and I'm going to ask the question, what say you? Is this good behavior, do we let them live, or is it bad behavior, do we say nay? Uh, Let's go to the movie Gladiator. for. But I wanted you to think about the power of your thumb here, and I want you to again join me now. We're going to talk about some real-life things. So come on, we're going to go thumbs up or thumbs down. We're talking about the golden rule. Thank you for the three of you that have your thumbs up. I'd like to invite the other couple hundred. If you're on Richmond Road, and someone and you are ready to turn in front of Chick-fil-A, and a car is pulling up. And rather than letting you drive through, they pull right in the way so you cannot go through. What say you? Is that good behavior or is that bad behavior? I say it's down as well. How about the second one? What say you? Your neighbor walks his dog every day and this dog systematically goes to the bathroom on your front yard. What say you? Is that good behavior or is that bad behavior? How about if that same neighbor brings his pooper scooper with him? and he picks it up, what would you say? Sure, that's good behavior. That's what you want them to do. Uh, How about this? A friend borrows a tool, breaks it, and doesn't offer to fix it. Bad behavior. How about this one? Uh, You drop your billfold going into Walmart, and somebody catches you and brings it to you. What say you? Good behavior. How about uh, your car stalls in an intersection, and cars are blaring their horns at you? And someone gets out and helps you push your car out of the intersection. What say you? Yeah. How about a classmate says, you have a big nose and laughs at you? Yeah. How about one more here? How about uh, uh, your husband buys flowers when he didn't do anything wrong? You know the difference between what's right and what's wrong, what's good behavior and what's bad behavior. The golden rule is simply doing to people what we want them to do to us. We all know how to be treated right, and here's the deal. We can't control what people do, but we can control how we treat them. And I can promise you from both experience and Scripture that if you and I will practice the golden rule, we'll be a lot happier in our dealings with people. So let's explore this together. Uh, let's talk about first about conflict, that when we practice the golden rule... Uh, When conflict comes our way, my friends, I promise you it'll be better on the other side. Here's something I know to be true. Conflict is all around us. It happens all the time. I guarantee if you were following blogs this week when the NFL announced no kneeling during the national anthem, I guarantee you there were lots of ups and lots of downs. I guarantee you every time our president tweets, there's ups and there's downs, depending on what uh, TV station you watch. How about Road rage. How about you are anxious to get somewhere and you pull out in front of somebody going 60 and they don't have to screech on brakes, but as you're pulling, going up a little faster, they zoom around you and they wave at you with their middle finger. How many know conflict is everywhere? People are angry. They're upset. How about if your neighbor drives over your flower bed? Doesn't say anything about it. Conflict. Somebody accuses you of being a racist. It's probably the most overworked, undervalued phrase in our culture today, but it does something when you hear it. How about if you are punished because of the color of your skin? This is around us all the time. Conflict is everywhere. And my question is, friend, is there a way to make it better? Is there a way to get through it? What does the Bible say about conflict? And how does my application of the golden rule help me with this? So let's talk about conflict just a second because there's five things you can do. Four of them are, are, are Bible-oriented. Four of them are positive, and one, the first one is negative. But let's get it out of the way. The first thing you can do if you're in conflict is you can get even. You can retaliate, and you can seek revenge. You can apply the Old Testament eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, let me tell you, friends, uh, is this what you want someone to do to you when you act stupid? See, when I mess up, I want mercy. But when you mess up, I want judgment. But if we could pause just a minute to realize that that whole expression, that comes not from our spiritual maturity. That's coming out of our flesh. That's coming out of our carnality. So when conflict comes, hopefully that's off your list because that's not biblical. But here it begins, and we're going to kind of start at at the outer circle of conflict and go towards the middle of resolution. But here's something that's often, it's very appropriate to do. It's called walking away. Jesus advocated this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. He speaks to his disciples that are sharing the gospel around different neighborhoods and towns. And Jesus said, if a home or town refuses to welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet. Now, what does that mean? That means just let it go, leave it behind you. Uh, I want to suggest if you are kind of have a road rage person pull up next to you, the thing you do not want to do is gun the car when they gun the car. The thing you do not want to do is you don't want to escalate it by raising your fist when they raise theirs. Because before you know it, somebody will be pulling out a gun. Are you with me today? There's a time to walk away from conflict. But I suggest this to you. When you walk away, don't just turn your back because it's still on you. When you walk away, you pray for them and you forgive them. You do it out loud and say it very deliberately. If, if, if four, Have you ever had someone in front of Chick-fil-A again, not just one car? Now, they've got a red light, by the way. They know they can't go. But it's not just one. It's not just two. But it's three. And the third one stops right by you. Or how about if you let three people in, you're doing the good deed, and they don't even bother to wave at you. It just leaves a yucky feeling on you. And what I want to encourage you to practice, when you walk away and when you let it go... Say, Lord, I bless them today. I forgive them for their behavior. I don't know what's going on, but I ask you to bless them. I ask you to turn them around and put a smile on their face instead of that ugly frown that they're wearing right now. When you forgive somebody, when you bless them, that's what Jesus said to do. Jesus said to pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. When you do that, you feel better about yourself. Are you with me today? And the conflict lifts off you, and that way you don't take it home. Because if you have a little road rage on the house on the road going home, guess what happens when you get home if you've still got it? You're going to have a little rage against your family. Now let's get a little deeper here. Diffusing the hostility. Diffusing the hostility. Because the Bible will teach us that our response to hostility or conflict can open a door of grace. What you do will either make it worse or it has the potential to make it better. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says this, and I want you to say this with me. A... Gentle answer turns. turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let me tell you a, a little story. It's kind of funny and kind of embarrassing. First missions trip I ever went on was Mexico. I was introduced uh, with about probably a dozen pastors to the ministry of uh, Mexico Ministries. And uh, it was just a bunch of preachers and we're teasing each other. Uh, and I'm a tease. How many teases we got in the room here? I like to tease and cut up. Well, I was cutting up and probably a little too much, but... Uh, when I got in my room that night, it was late, and I was in the room getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden, somebody knocks on the door. And I went to the door, recognized my friend, and I opened the door, and I said, What do you want? And he said, I'm fixing to whoop your... That's my preacher buddy. Now, I could have bucked up at him. You know, I could have done my crawl, my gall. I could have, you know, I, I, I could have done whatever. But when you escalate it, or you can soften it, And I realized I'd crossed the line, and before he said anything else, I put my arm towards him and said, I want to ask you to forgive me because what I said was wrong, and I obviously hurt your feelings. I wasn't meaning to do it. I was just cutting up. Now, he probably picked on me because I was the skinniest one, but whatever reason he did, just like that, he turned from somebody that wanted to fight me. We sat out on the bed, and we began talking about life, and I understood his insecurities just like mine. A soft answer turns away wrath. wrath. And If you amp it up, you're going to have bloodshed. Jesus said this, Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. There is a way to make peace. uh, Jesus also said this. Jesus uh, said, I've heard it was said of you, Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say love your enemies and do what? Pray for those who hurt you. Now, why would you do that? That is the oddest thing. We live in a world that teaches us competitiveness, self-preservation. Why should I pray for someone that's trying to hurt for me? Why should I show kindness? And I'll tell you, friends, because it opens a door of God's grace. People know when they deserve justice. They know what the proper action is. And if you have the spiritual maturity to show God's kindness and grace and mercy, you have opened a door of mercy to them that God can get in their hearts. This is where spiritual maturity causes us to act in redemptive ways. Romans 12 takes it a step further. Never pay back evil with more evil. But dear friends, never take revenge and leave that to the righteous anger of God. Now listen verse 20. We're talking about opening a door of grace. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. Don't starve them. Don't make it worse. Don't put them out of business. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame or conviction on their heads. It's not to singe the hair off their head, but what it's trying to say is they're going to become aware inside that what they've done is wrong because of your right response. He makes this startling statement, don't let evil conquer you, but do what? Conquer, conquer evil by doing good. Listen, friends, why do we treat people this way when they deserve punishment? Because we're living by the golden rule. And how many know if you're more like Maximus the Merciful, you'll open a door of grace and God can do some great things. Let's keep going as we're talking about conflict. Not only diffusing the issue, I want to conf- uh, 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 we need to confront the issue. There are occasions that we need to stand up for what is right. Christians are not a doormat, and our goal is not to avoid conflict by silence or appeasement. And sometimes the right thing to do is to stand up and to defend the truth. That's, h- that's hard for me to do. I don't like conflict. I would rather withdraw from it. But oftentimes the right thing to do is to stand up. I applaud Christian legal groups that are defending religious freedom. I applaud those who stand up to those who are bullies of political correctness. I applaud Christians who have the courage to stand up and say unpopular things in our culture. It's unpopular to give a biblical perspective on sexuality and marriage and and all these hot-button topics in our world today. But as you stand, you're doing it not because you want to just make them think like you, You're concerned about a person's soul. Come on now. And you want to help people that are in error. You want to help people that are believing things that are against what God teaches. You want to help people on the wrong path get on the right path. And how many know? Listen, for my life, if I'm in the wrong and I don't know it, I need someone with the courage to tell me. I have people tell me this somewhat frequently. I never like it. But at the end, if I've listened to their counsel and it was godly counsel and it was the right thing to do, I'm a better person if I've listened to it. So why am I saying this? Listen, friends, if I want someone to tell me when I'm wrong and about to end up in a ditch, shouldn't I do the same thing for other people? Not as an arrogant person talking down to them, but as somebody who cares confronting the truth. Let me, let me this, this last little section, taking steps to reconcile. Now this is a big one. We mentioned it several weeks ago when we were talking about our home life, but I think it's so profound because there is nothing that will split a relationship quicker than a conflict. I don't care if you're, if you're bass fishing buddies or duck hunters or I, I don't care if you're married or, or best friends at school or besties for life. A conflict has the power to tear a relationship apart that God wants to put back together. Now, I may never have a relationship with, I don't know, what the guy on the road rage, uh, I, I used to shop at a store in town and I'd buy some of my garden products there and just over the years they just weren't nice and I'd try to be nice I'd kid, I'd talk and you know what I did? I just said okay well I, I, I've said nice things invited you to church I can just go find somewhere else well I don't think my life's going to suffer because of that relationship was torn apart but I've got some relationships with some key people starting with my family come on now Outside that circle, some church friends, some church leaders, some Christians. I've got people in my world that I don't want that relationship to break. And if it's tenuous, I want to get it back together. Let me tell you some things that will help you. And here's the first one. Let me, first depends on your personality. How many, when you get angry or upset about something, you just blow off the handle and tell them what you think and just don't worry about it? How many people are like that? Personality. Few. it's okay to raise your hand. How many people are passive-aggressive? In other words, you're going to get mad, but you're going to withdraw and punish in another way. Okay. Now, the rest of you, do you not know what you are? Okay. So I'll say it this way. First step of reconciliation, cool off if you're a hothead, come out of your room if you're passive-aggressive, and pray together. I cannot think of any bit of advice more important than this. That if you're in a conflict with someone, if you will take time to pray with them. If you will look in their eyes and simply open a door for God to come in. I cannot think of anything that has more power to help heal a relationship. Because what is prayer? Prayer is inviting God to come in to to be a part of the solution. That's the first thing. The second one, and this is a big one, it takes maturity and humility. Confess what you've done wrong. Here's what I want to do. When I'm upset with someone, I want to tell them this. You know what you said the other day? That's why I'm upset. You know what you promised me to do and you didn't do? Uh, You know what you always say? And I'm wanting to point the finger at them. If the first thing I can do is to confess to that person what I have done wrong. James 5.16, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. So you can live life together whole and healed. If your goal is to live a happy life, whole and healed, then somebody has to open their mouth and say, what I said was wrong. And the follow-up with that is the third thing. Ask for forgiveness. And then when somebody, uh, when somebody asks you, forgive them. Colossians 3.13, bury with each other, which means there's going to be problems. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because... The Lord forgave you. Forgiveness is not fun. When I withhold forgiveness, what I'm really seeking for is justice. Forgiveness, unforgiveness means I want judgment. And if God's not going to get you, I'm going to punish you by withdrawing from you, by not including you in the text circle, by not inviting you to the party. I'm going to do things to continually hurt you. But forgiveness does this. It lets it go. My, tendance, my natural tendency is when you hurt me is to hold on to it. And every time I'm with you is to do that. Someone told me several weeks ago they were in church and someone that had done something wrong to them about six to nine months ago, they said every time I saw him in church, I just wanted to go sit somewhere else. I said, but the Lord really dealt with me and I went up to him a few Sundays ago. They said, I just told them, I forgive you for what you did. I'm sorry that I have, you know, the way that I have treated you, but I don't want this to go any farther. I'm telling you, friends, turning it over to God has great, great power. Let me give you one more before we move on. Ask the offended person what you can do to help the situation. So, What are you talking about, Pastor? This is particularly powerful with key, key relationships like your kids. Uh, My son was just in town. Rebecca graduated this week, and John was here, and Bethany, and our grandson, little Henry, was here. But I, I treat Rebecca differently than I did John, I think. Poor John he was the first child I didn't know what I was doing and I was probably tougher on him than I should have been and every once in a while boys get testosterone you know and, and, and he would buck up and then I would buck right back and before I know it I'm on the edge of violating what the Bible talks about about don't exasperate your children fathers I wish I'd have done more of this growing up I wish when that little stuff was there when we both cooled down a little bit I wish I'd have just sat on the, down on the bed and just say I'm sorry or this conflict, we're having, would you tell me what I'm doing wrong to hurt you? Would you tell me what dad's doing to make you angry? And I guarantee you, 80% of what they say will probably be right to the point. The Bible says this, Proverbs 12, fools think they're doing right, but wise people listen to advice. And if you will humble yourself and ask that offended person, what am I doing that I'm either blind to or I'm not aware? about how sensitive you are. And how many know if you love somebody, you'll make an adjustment. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. Lord. All right, let's shift to this last 10 minutes to the last part of the message. This is all about the golden rule. It's all about how we treat people. Well, this next one I want to focus on practicing the golden rule when I meet people in trouble. Let me give you an example. I was at home the other day, and I was getting ready to go to work, and I was running late. And I live at the end of a drive, uh, end of a road, it turns into gravel, I've got this big sign saying private drive, and, uh, and the problem is, in my driveway, there's virtually no place to turn around a big truck or a trailer. It is really tricky, and uh, if you don't do it just right, you run over my garden and my azaleas and I get all upset. Are, are you with me? Well, I'm in the yard getting ready to go, and I hear this sound bouncing down the road. Bing, 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 bing. And I could tell it was a big truck. And this guy with a gooseneck truck comes up and pulls up in my yard, gooseneck trailer, which is really long. So, what do you do when you know this guy's about to run over your azaleas? Well, he pulls up and he says, Man, I'm lost. And I, I, I thought about saying, could you not read the sign and stop back there? But then he turned his truck off, and he said, we got to talking, and I said, listen, don't worry about it. I said, listen, I'll help you turn around, and, and let me, what, what are you looking for? And then he went to crank up his truck, and his truck wouldn't crank. What do you do when you're in a situation when somebody's in trouble? Now, trouble happens all the time to people. Let me read you a story. Luke 10, verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, and he's going to ask him arguably the most important question that could ever be asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You're here today not just for cars, not just because you want to be a better person, but somewhere in your psyche you're here today because you're concerned about eternity. Jesus answered, what does the law of Moses say, the Bible? How do you read it? And the man said, you must love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said, hey, great. And then he said this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live for eternity. Well, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now the story gets interesting. Jesus gave them a story to illustrate. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It was about an 18-mile journey. It was a drop of 3,000 feet. It was rocky roads that you're climbing on, barely suited for a horse, or perhaps a wagon could get by, but no superhighway. It was dangerous. There were lots of places for robbers to hide. It was a common practice that people would be hiding there, and they would take advantage of helpless people. That's exactly what happened. Verse uh, there's a verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem. He's attacked by bandits. Notice, they strip him of his clothes, beat him up, and leave him half dead beside the road. Now let's just imagine just a little bit. This man, perhaps he was in Jerusalem. He went to do some act of temple service. Maybe it was his little girl's birthday, and he's got some birthday presents for her. He's got food for the family. Uh, It's hot. It's in the middle of the day. They've beaten him. They knocked him unconscious. He wakes up. He's got blood all over him. Flies are there. He sees a vulture circling around. The sun is starting to burn his skin. He realizes perhaps that his left arm is almost paralyzed. He can barely move it. He's been severely beaten. And in his mind when he wakes up, he's thinking, what if they come back? What if they come back? What am I going to do? My family doesn't have food. My kid won't have a birthday present. And I could die. Let me ask you this question. What would you want someone to do if that was you? What would you want someone to do if you were walking home from school and a neighborhood gang stopped in front of you, jumped out of their car, and just beat you half to death? What would you want somebody to do? If you're driving down the road and your car careens off the road and it hits a tree and the airbags have come off and you're knocked unconscious, what would you want somebody to do? Listen to the story of Jesus. By chance a priest, mind you now we're talking about the golden rule. By chance a priest came along. This was a religious man. He was what you might call a pastor, an evangelist, someone that you know, should know better. He saw the man lying there and he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. And we don't know why he passed by. Some would say that it would have made him ceremonially unclean. He could have been doing temple work and if you touched a dead body in Jewish religion, you weren't able, able to do your job as a priest, maybe. It could be he was scared, fear got in there. It could be he was in a hurry, it could be he just didn't care. We don't know what it was, but what we know is he passed by the man that was in trouble. A temple assistant, this was a Levite, he walked over and looked at the man, once again a religious person, he was lying on the ground, but he also passed by on the other side. It's one thing to pass by if somebody has an accident and the ambulance and the police are there and they're waving you by, all you can do then is rubberneck. It's another thing if there's no police and no ambulance and no other cars and you just saw them crash into the pole. Are you with me today? That's the scenario. Verse 33, it gets a little deeper now. A despised Samaritan came along. They had their own racism, discrimination, whatever you want to call it in their day. The Jews were called to be a pure chosen race. After the exile, some of the Jews were left in the region of Samaria to just tend the fields from the wild beasts. They brought other people in. They intermarried, so they were called half-breeds. They were Jewish half-breeds. There was a lot of racial tension between the two groups. And rather than the Jewish people that had the law of Moses being a good Samaritan, now this despised Samaritan is going to be the one that shows compassion. Despised Samaritan came along. He sees the man, and he felt compassion for him. He went over to him. He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. He's showing care. He's taking a risk. He put the man on his own donkey. took him to an inn. Now there's going to be a cost to his being a good Samaritan, a cost to the golden rule. He took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. He told him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three, Jesus asked the question, was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits. Remember his question was, what do I have to do for eternal life? Love God and love your neighbor. Which one was the neighbor? The man replied, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go now and do the same. I don't know about you, but if I'm on the side of the road, all beaten and broken, I want somebody to help me. If I've lost my job, I want somebody to show me a little care and perhaps help me. If I'm, go- if I'm going in for surgery, <laughs> i should sure like for somebody to hold my hand. Are you with me today? If I'm in trouble, if I'm in a hard spot. We, we were, uh, Linnell and I were told recently that one of our neighbors has breast cancer. As you may know that Linnell had breast cancer five years ago. She's cancer free, praise the Lord. But Linnell said she had been praying for an opportunity to reach out to this neighbor that we really don't know. And uh, lo and behold, she's on her way to church. I guess it was last night. And she said, I'd already told the Lord, if you'll just help me find her somewhere, if I'll see her in the yard, I'll stop. Now, she's got responsibilities. She's got duties at church. She's got something to do. But she's 45 minutes late. And my thought was, she's home playing with a grandbaby. But she wasn't because that dear lady was out in the yard. And and the Holy Spirit had arranged the situation. So Linnell became a good Samaritan for 45 minutes. Are you with me today? Now listen, I'm using her as an example, but this is the way the Lord wants us to behave. This is what love means, loving your neighbor. This is how the golden rule works. Uh, See, the golden rule compels us to help people. It's what Christians do. James chapter 1, it adds this, religion that God accepts as pure and without fault is caring for orphans or widows who needs help. When you and I meet someone in trouble, now listen, I'm not telling you to just stop on the side of the road and help a stranger. I mean, you've got to be cautious because there's crazies in the world, okay? But what I am saying is some of the folks that are in trouble, it's a God moment where you're the one that can be Christ to them. We need to ask ourselves the question when we see people in trouble, what would I want them to do for me? I promise you this, you'll feel better about yourself and God will smile on you. If you're a good Samaritan, if you are like uh, Maximus the Merciful, let me know it tends to set a rhythm in motion for life. You sow kindness, you reap kindness. You sow goodness, you reap goodness. You sow provision and care, you reap provision and care. That's just the way the golden rule works. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. He's worthy of our praise. I'm going to close with this. Uh, uh, Practicing the Golden Rule works. I'm going to show you a little 30 second video, but before we play it, it's by a company. It's the Marriott Hotel Chain, and they're trying to make money. And I want you to see their reference to the Golden Rule, a company that's not a bunch of Jesus people, but somebody just realizes when something works, we better do it. Take a peek at this. There's going to be 16 of us. Are you sure? The bus is down, but we've got a spot. Head down to the light, take a right, follow Coach Kevin. Sorry again that we're fully booked. This is the best we could do on such short notice. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Treating others like we'd like to be treated has always been our guiding principle. Treating others like we'd like to be treated. We value the golden rule. Now, I've been to a lot of hotels when it was full. The days before the, uh, before the Internet was here, you had to literally make a phone call or go by. And if you're on vacation or going somewhere and trying to find a place, have you ever been there and it's real late at night or your car breaks down or something? Most people behind that counter are not practicing the golden rule. They may be somewhat kind, but most of them are simply there to do a job. And in their job, they'll say, I'm sorry, there's just no room here. But somehow in the Marriott Corporation, they were teaching values. And one of the values they instilled in their employees was if you had a kid that was on a baseball trip and that bus broke down in the middle of the night, what would you want someone to do for your child? Would you want to leave them on the side of the road? Would you want to just tell them, sorry, we can't help you? Or would you be willing to go get some chairs and put some blankets on it? Would you be willing to find a blanket in a closet somewhere? Would you be willing to find an old mattress and take care of 14 little kids? Well, listen, if they can do that for money, how I mean, know we should be able to do that as Christians because we're the light of the world, because we're living the life that Jesus called us to live? Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's just take just a moment and, and, and pray together. I sure hope you'll stay for the car show. Just kind of walk around. They've got burgers and sausage on a stick, and what else they got? Hot dogs, turkey legs. But there, you know why we're doing this car show? Is because Pastor Mike likes cars, and I like to hang out with people. So this is why we're doing it. Uh, but I hope you'll stay a little bit. I hope you'll be able to make a relationship with somebody more than just a hello and goodbye on a Sunday morning. But I hope you'll be able to make a friend today. But before we walk out of the church building, could we just maybe take a sec just to pray? And I wonder what the Holy Spirit might have said to you in this message. Lord, I want to ask you right now for all of us that you would help us prioritize the two great commandments. Love the Lord with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourself. Our neighbor may be a person in trouble. And Lord, I personally, if I have ever been too busy or too selfish or too fearful to help, I want to ask you to forgive me but I want to be someone that cares and practices the golden rule. Lord, I want to ask you to help me put into practice the golden rule where there's conflict. Lord, if, I, if I'm too quick to blow my temper, if I'm too quick to slam the door, please forgive me. And help me, Lord, be someone that builds bridges. Help me, Lord, always have a soft word to turn away another person's anger. Help me, Lord, have the humility and maturity to restore relationship to confess what I've done wrong rather than blaming the other person. Help me, Lord, take the first step. Lord, for many of us here, perhaps we have some anger and bitterness and hurt we've not opened our hand to release to God. Maybe that's what we need. But whatever it is, I pray, Lord, that you would help us put this into practice and let God himself do something supernatural in us. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Welcome. Love your neighbor and live by the golden rule. That's what church was about today. In Jesus' name. We're going to close this way. They're going to have one song. During that song, we're going to invite a prayer team to come forwards and they'll pray with you about anything. I find quite often when we open the Bible and we talk and the Holy Spirit's able to pick around our heart a little bit, something just kind of gets opened up that you need to reach out to God and pray for. Maybe there's an enemy you've not been treating right. Maybe there's a relationship you need to restore. I don't know what it may be. Maybe conflict is in your life, or maybe it's hard for you to be a good Samaritan. It could be anything, but we'd be honored to pray with you about anything that's dear to your heart. But the most important thing we'd like to pray for is about your personal relationship with God. And I was, as I was worshiping the Lord and thinking about this moment, I feel like the Lord gave me a picture in my mind of a car stuck in the mud. Now if you've ever been stuck, you know what it's like. I don't care if it's a car or a truck, but you get in a mud hole, I don't care if you're in four-wheel drive. You can stick a truck in four-wheel drive. The bottom line, if you've ever been in a place and those tires are just spinning and you put it in drive and it spins and you put it in reverse and it spins and before you know it, you've dug a hole in the body of the truck or the vehicle is on the ground, you're not going anywhere. I want to suggest that that's a picture of someone's life this morning. You have tried to find happiness in a multitude of ways, you've tried to do it all yourself without God and it has not worked. And the more you pass that gas pedal, the deeper you get stuck. Can I tell you, friend, Jesus Christ can help pull you out of that mess. Jesus Christ can give you a brand new way to live. He can give you a brand new heart and a brand new set of values. Jesus can change you on the inside. The Bible calls it being born again, calls it being saved. And it happens like this, at a moment in time, when you surrender your life to christ when you ask jesus to forgive you for your sins and you commit your life to follow him it is a transforming moment it happened to me august fifteenth nineteen seventy six when i prayed a prayer that hopefully like you will pray today when i committed my life to christ and can i tell you friends i've never regretted it and i've never looked back because jesus listen will keep you on the road from being stuck jesus offers a way of life It's way better than what you'll ever find without it. And if you feel right now that that's your life, and I'm talking to you right now, and you want to commit your life to Christ, when they begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to do a very bold thing. Slip out of your chair and come over to the cross and let us pray. I promise you we won't embarrass you. You're not joining the church. We just want to help you make your first step to God. Maybe you're here today and you've gotten away from Christ. You used to walk closely, but life just happened, and today you want to come back. Let us pray for you. But regardless of what it is, Pastor Nick's going to begin singing. Our prayer team's coming to the front right now. And if you need prayer for anything, just slip out of your chair and come let us pray. But most importantly, if you need to get your life right with God, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming today and hope to see you at the car show.